Thank you for joining us with these podcasts. They are designed to challenge us in the Christian faith. We hope that they do that for you. And we also hope that sometime you will join us at First Christian Church in Malvern. May God bless you. We are looking at the book of Exodus, and this is a book that uh, I take very literally. Uh, liberal scholars try to say the Exodus never happened, the slavery of the Israelites never happened, but uh, I believe it's a book that's written by Moses. In fact, every New Testament author and even Jesus refers to uh, this book as written by Moses. And the events that took place in this is around the 16th, 15th century B.C. And uh, it's going to cover some of the time. Moses tells this story as an eyewitness account of uh, historical events. And uh, when you look at uh, uh, Israel, I mean, their customs prove that it was a fact. The Passover meal, the, I mean, all of that. So uh, even Stephen in the book of, of Acts in 7 tells that story about uh, Israel and a literal exodus. So a literal understanding of this book is where I come from when we look at this. It's literal. And uh, it's an incredible book about the power of God. Uh, it, it's fantastic. The book are, is in actually six parts. Okay, six parts. And I think I added that in your outline or whatever. Uh, chapters 1 through 4 is the call of Moses. And chapters 5 through 11 is God's demonstration of power. So is the whole book as far as that goes, but really concentrates in that area. Chapters uh, 12 through 15 is the Exodus. And uh, I'm only planning on going part of Exodus unless you want to continue. We may stop there, or if you want to continue, we'll, we'll continue on with the rest, because 16 through 31 is the giving of the law, and 32 through 34 is the breaking of that covenant, and 35 through 40 is the, the tabernacle and the building of the tabernacle. So, let's take a look at Exodus one and uh, we'll start reading, okay? It says, Now these are the names of the sons of Israel. What, what was the other name? Let me stop. What was the other name of Israel? He had two names. Israel was one. Jacob. Yeah, Jacob. Jacob is the other one. And God changed his name to Israel. So, here's the sons of Jacob or Israel who came to Egypt, okay? They 
came each one with his own household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, all of the persons who came from the loins of Jacob or Israel were 70 in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful, and increased greatly, and multiplied, and became exceedingly mighty, so that the land was filled with them. Now, according to, to Moses here, there were 70 people that came to Exodus, to, I mean, came to Egypt. 70 people. That's not including um, Jacob, I'm sorry, uh, Joseph. It's not including him and his family. How many sons did he have? Anybody remember? Two. Yep. Ephraim, and you remember the other one? Manasseh. Yep. And, of course, their wives, and there's grandchildren there, and, and so on. But, uh, is that a bird? Oh, poor little thing. Okay. Well, uh, his family... Israel's family's 11 sons, and uh, Jacob's got grandsons, granddaughters, and according to verse 5, Israel's family numbered 70 altogether. In Genesis 46, 26, someone uh, turn there, if you would, and uh, we're going to take a look at that passage. In fact, I'll turn there if you have your Bible. Genesis 46 through 26. And the reason why I bring this up, the reason why I bring it up is it's important that we sometimes see that there are different numbers in the, book, in the Bible. So in Genesis 46, verse 26, Genesis 46, verse 26, he says, All the persons belonging to Jacob who came to Egypt his direct descendants, not including the wives of Jacob's son, sons, were 76 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came to Egypt were 70. Uh, at the beginning, at, yeah, it's verse 26 says 66, but verse 27, well, there's 70. Yeah. So there's, there's a question many times. The descendants of Jacob is 66, but with Jacob's house, there's 70. Now, the difference in this is simple, that uh, 
Moses makes it clear why the numbers are different. In 26, verse 26, he's describing those who had descended from Jacob and came to Egypt in response to uh, Joseph's call. And so we find Joseph had some people, so it's added to it and becomes 70. That number, that 66 number, excluded uh, Jacob himself and his family. The second number, uh, seven, is a description of the persons of Jacob's house. So, but turn to Acts a minute. In Acts, uh, I'm going to have to look this one up. I had, did I write down the Acts 7.14? Yep. Would you read that? <laughs> and the reason why I bring this up is there are people who try to say the Bible is inconsistent. And they try this with numbers. Okay? Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. Oh, 75. Well, Stephen describes the family of Jacob as being 75. But his number includes five grandsons of Joseph born to Manasseh and Ephraim. So it's important that we understand why those numbers are different. Now, let me ask you, can someone tell me the story of Joseph? How did he get into Egypt before the rest of them? He was sold as a slave by his brothers. And you remember the story in Genesis of that of all the trials he went through. He was accused of um, messing around with the captain's wife, <laughs> okay? And he was thrown into prison. He was forgotten. He, uh, he just really went through a lot. Finally, he interpreted a dream. And isn't that neat how Many people we've studied that have interpreted dreams. And so, as it turns out, he becomes a ruler. And he's favored in uh, Egypt. And you remember the story, how the brothers had come and, and uh, all of that. Well, uh, what is interesting is that they all get to come because of the position Joseph has. In fact, Pharaoh told them to come, didn't he? I got a question. Why did God cause Israel to leave Canaan and dwell in a foreign land? Why would he do that? Especially if he knew they were going to be slaves. Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. There's a couple of them, and I want us to look very closely because it seems that God has forsaken them, doesn't it? 
to allow them to become slaves? I mean, why would he take them out of Canaan, take them to Egypt, make them become slaves? Well, th there's a couple of reasons for this, and, and I want us to look at it. But in, to, in order to understand it, we have to go to Genesis chapter 9. Uh, in this story, and this is back in history, when you look at Noah, the world has been destroyed, right? There are three sons. Anybody remember the name of the three sons? Yep. Japheth. Yep. Okay, those three are going to repopulate the entire world. Do I believe that? Yep, because I believe it was a world flood. So those three are going to populate the world. Now, I want you to look. I gave you a chart, and I don't have mine. <laughs> Let me grab a notebook, okay? And it's at, I think she put it at the end. Now, this is, this is interesting because this tells, this tells of the three sons and the areas that they went and lived and nations grew. In fact, I have another chart that names the nations. But Japheth, you see, is in Europe. He's in Asia Minor. The Greeks, all of that are in there. Look at Ham. Now, Ham is going to be a thorn in Israel's sides because a lot of the Ites, the Amorites, Ammonites, Hittites, Parasites, <laughs> okay, all of those Ites, the Canaanites, are coming from Ham. Now they settled in Canaan and Egypt and Africa. Now, here we go. If we go to Genesis 9:24, we find a story about Noah after the flood. And what happens there is that he is naked. He's kind of passed out. Ham sees him and makes fun of him. Does not cover him up, but he does at least go get his brothers, and his brothers cover him up. In verse 24, it says, When Noah awoke from his wine... He knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, 
Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brothers. It is from Ham that we get the Canaanites. The Canaanites were the group that was godless, became godless, and worshipped idols, and Baal. And they were living in that land that Abraham had gone through, the promised land. And Israel had fought with many of the Canaanites. And, and God had warned time and time again, do not worship the God of the Canaanites. So here they are in the Middle East, in what's now known as Israel, and the Canaanites are cursed. Why didn't God curse Ham? Take a wild guess. Okay. First of all, there's got to be, there's only three people to populate the entire world. After the flood, it's Ham, right? And uh, uh, Japheth and uh, Shem. Now, if you look at this, so if he would have destroyed Ham, look at what that would have taken away from repopulating the earth. So he did Canaan. He condemns Canaan, which is Ham's son. There seems to be in that line a rebellion against God. And when you look at all of that, you see that there is this rebellion. Now, uh, from that group, from Ham, you notice you have Egypt, right? In the Bible, look how many times they fought. Uh, they fought Egypt and, and Israel. So, the line of Canaan is going to come to an end. God is going to destroy that line eventually. Now, from Noah, if you go 360 years and you look at Abraham, you find that uh, uh, Abraham, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And in chapter 15, take a look at that. In Genesis 15, Genesis 15, verse 12. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I will judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward 
they will come out with many possessions. I want to stop there. Who's he talking about? Who's going to be enslaved? The Israelites, the descendants of Abraham. The Israelites, all those people who had just gone into Egypt that we read about, they're going to be enslaved. God told Abraham that. But God has a purpose for that. We're going to see. He says, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. In other words, you will die. You'll be buried at a good old age. Then the fourth generation, they will return here. Abraham is in the promised land, okay? But they're going to be taken out of that land, go to Egypt, become slaves, and then the fourth generation will come back. And they will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. While the Amorite is part of Canaan, of the Canaanites. And you see that in our chart. So, God is promising Abraham that he's going to bless the nation. How's he going to bless the nation? Yeah, by allowing them to become slaves. Yeah, yeah. And he says, I'm going to bless you, but they're going to be slaves. And you can scratch your head and say, how in the world is becoming a slave, going through that terrible stuff, a blessing? I mean, the people that were going through that for 400 years are thinking, God has forgotten us. But Abraham is being told that they're going to be blessed and they're going to go and become slaves. So, that's interesting. In verse, that verse 16, the descendants will go to Egypt for a time and then... All of this is connected to the curse on Canaan because when they get out of Egypt and they finally enter the promised land, who do they fight? The Canaanites. And they are to completely destroy the Canaanites. Have you ever wondered why would a loving God tell a people, to go in there and destroy women, children. <sighs> Isn't that horrible? It goes back. It goes back to Noah and Ham and the curse he pronounced. God was judging the Canaanites. They had become a very evil, evil, godless people. And God knew that. And so Noah pronounces that curse led by God. And then centuries later, we see the Israelites entering into the promised land. And they're destroying the Canaanites. All of this is tied together. Now, why? 
you've got to tie in that the, the removal of the Canaanites is tied to this curse that Noah gave. Uh, so, but why would God, why couldn't he just take them to Egypt and they don't become slaves? Yeah. God was keeping them pure. They were not marrying Egyptians because they're slaves. He is raising these 70 people to become a mighty nation. His people. Look at how God's plan is so magnificent, people. And even though it seems like, and it happens to us when we go through rough times, don't we at times say, Lord, why are you doing this? And God is saying, be patient. I have a plan. And so there they are. They're in Egypt. They are slaves. But there's one more story. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll get back to another part. But there's the story of Judah. Now remember, he's one of the sons that, that came into Egypt. Judah did something that no other son of Israel did. He married, before he went to Egypt, he married a Canaanite. That was forbidden. That was forbidden. He married a Canaanite and he had Two sons. And. When we're telling the story of Joseph, it's interrupted. Turn to Genesis a minute. I want you to look at this. Isn't God's plan Man, he knows the future, doesn't he? The way he works things. In Genesis 37, we're just going to skim here a little bit. In Genesis 37, Joseph has this dream, and it's all about Joseph. There's a plot against Joseph, but all of a sudden he interrupts the story of Joseph with chapter 38. In chapter 38, he tells this story about Judah and Tamar. And you may think, well, why did he interrupt the story of Joseph and him being sent to, to uh, Egypt? 
Let me read it. And it came about at the time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain um, Adolamite, whose name was Hira, and Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went into her. So she conceived and bore a son and named him Er. Then she conceived again and bore a son and named him Onam. Then she bore still another son and named him Shelah. And it was at uh, Jezeb that she bore him. Now Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Hmm. But Ur, first, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord. I want you to realize this is a Canaanite influence in the family. So the Lord took his life. You mean the Lord just struck him dead? Yep. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Now this was part of the custom of the day. The brother would then take the, uh, what is it, sister-in-law and have sex so that she could have a family. And Ona knew that the offspring would not be his. Technically, it's not his. So it came about that when he went in to his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to his brother. But what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord. So he took his life also. Hmm. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son, Shelah, who's really young. I mean, we're talking young, young, young. No way, you know. Grows up, for he thought, I'm afraid that he too may die like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. Now, after a considerable time, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. And when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to his sheep shearers in Tema, and he and his friend, uh, Hira, and the Ad Adulamite. And he, it was told to Tamar, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to Ta uh, Timnah to shear his sheep. So do you remember the story? She dresses up as a prostitute, has sex with Judah. Now, she conceives. She has a child. And Judah is not realizing who she is, his daughter-in-law. And uh, she plays the harlot, and she has a son by the name of Perez. She reveals to Judah, finally, that he is the father. Now, that sounds really horrible to us, doesn't it? Sounds horrible to me. 
But you know what? What great person is from the Lion of Judah? Jesus. Do you know what Satan was doing when he tempted Judah to take a Canaanite? He was trying to totally derail the coming of the Messiah. Because that's exactly what would have happened. Boy, the book of beginnings, Genesis, is really, really important. In fact, uh, we had the flood, and God took the sons of Noah and repopulated the entire world. Abraham comes around, and he tells Abraham that his descendants are going to go to Egypt and be slaves. Terrible thing. Terrible. Horrible. We had Judah as a son of Israel and as the one who is in the line of having the Messiah marry a Canaanite. But Tamar has a child from an Israelite, Judah. The line remains pure. And so they go into slavery in Egypt. Why? So that God could protect them. No more marrying Canaanites. No more marrying Egyptians. And he makes them flourish. They prosper. And then he gives them the law that definitely tells them not to mess around with the Gentiles. The Canaanites, the rest of them. And here we have Jesus. You see, all of this is focused so that God can save us through Jesus Christ. And no plan of Satan is going to thwart that. Now that's, that's a complicated plan, isn't it? I mean, it gets really complicated. But God knows the past, the present, the future. Remember, I, I've always said that God has a cruise ship. And he's in control. And we're allowed to be free on the cruise ship. We can do a lot of different things. But he has an end place that he's going. And he's steering it. That's what we see in these two great books of Genesis and Exodus. We might look at these things as terrible tragedies. Oh, killing all the Canaanites. Oh, and oh, being slaves in Egypt. Why would God do such a thing? 
But it reminds us, people, when we go through those hard times, God is in control. He's in control. Rest assured that he has a plan. Rest assured that things are going to go. Things are going to work. So we find that little story in Genesis about Judah. We find all of this happening in Exodus. Uh, Judah's the one that's supposed to carry the seed of promise that God had. So Judah's line eventually is going to produce the Messiah. Satan tried to interfere. Now, if God had left the family in Canaan, the nation of Israel probably would have intermarried the Canaanites and be totally engulfed through intermarriage. The Messiah would have been polluted by intermarrying in the line of Canaan and worshiping other gods. And God's entire plan for Israel could have been disrupted. Well, as I said, he protected them. He isolated them from the Egyptians. And as slaves, they, they wouldn't marry in the Egyptian culture. Now, we're, we're eventually going to see, uh, talk a little bit about Moses. But uh, look at verse 8 in Exodus 1. We, we left off there, and I want to hit that. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Um, we've read that a hundred times and I've skipped over it and said, yep, didn't know Joseph. Why? Because he died. Well, uh, that's not it exactly. In fact, during that time, after Joseph and them had come, there's a regime change in Egypt. See, not only do we have to know Jewish culture and Roman culture and Greek culture, now we need to look into Egyptian culture and Egyptian history. When Joseph came to Egypt, he entered that about the 16th dynasty, and we have a chart there. The 13th through the 17th dynasties were ruled by a people called uh, Hyksos. I think that's how it is. I, I can't remember how it's pronounced. But the people, those people were not native Egyptians. They were foreigners from the region of Haran or the Fertile Crescent. They had actually conquered the Egyptians in 1670, 1670 B.C. 
they were part of the Semites, which is the line of Shem, if you happen to go to there. They share the same origin, family origins, as the Hebrew people. But if you looked on the chart, the native Egyptians are from Ham. Now, these Semites from Shem were rulers over Egypt, but they're not Egyptians. They had conquered those Egyptians. Uh, and they held that rule, and that explains why Joseph quickly was elevated in positions of power. Now, he was welcomed. And when Pharaoh learns that Joseph had more family, that he says, come on down. And they come down. Joseph uh, knew that native Egyptians are not going to like him, are not going to want him. So he asks Pharaoh to give a portion of the land away, which is Goshen. And that's where they settle, in the land of Goshen. Uh, here we see that God goes to separate the uh, Israelites from the Egyptians, by where they're living even. Well, eventually, that reign came to an end. Amos was a native Egyptian. If you look at the chart, you will see his name there. And he restored Egypt to Egyptian rule. Now, he comes to power in about 1570 B.C. This is the Pharaoh that doesn't know Joseph. He's ignorant of Joseph because he's not a descendant of the previous lines of Pharaohs. He represents a brand new dynasty or a house of rule. And so the 18th dynasty is considered the height of Egyptian power. Now, what Amos, uh, Amos did was throw out any of the people that were not native Egyptians, in other words, the, uh, the Semites. He actually enslaved them, and thus we see the Israelites becoming slaves. Now look at Exodus 1, and I'll start with 9. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. He's afraid of them. That's why he's afraid of them. Because they were part of that old dynasty. Let us deal wisely with them, or else they'll multiply in the event of war. They will also join themselves to those who hate us, and fight against us, and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh 
storage cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted him, the more they multiplied. Boy, I wonder why. Why do you think that happened? The more they afflicted him, the more they multiplied. Why do you think? The Lord's blessing them. He's got their hand on them. And he says, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out, so they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously. And they made their lives bitter and hard labor in mortar and bricks and had all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. Wow. He wants to wear them down. But what's he doing? He's making them strong. Yep. So against all logic, that nation continues to grow. God's hand. But it took persecution, didn't it? It took hardship for them to grow. And God is really blessing them. Look how many times in the New Testament we read that you should be thankful for trials and persecutions. So the number of Hebrews are really numerous. Now, James tells us, if you read the the book of James, it tells us, consider it joy when you have trials. You know, James 1, 2, faith produces endurance, the testing of your faith. And so he goes on, and 25 years pass, Amos dies, and his son, Amen Hatap, Hatep, decides to try a new tactic. Verse 15 in Exodus 1. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named uh, Shifra and the other's name Pua. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them Upon their birth stool, by the way, that's how they gave birth during that time. They actually sat on a stool. They did not, they were not on their back. But if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. If it's a daughter, then he shall live. She shall live. Uh, They didn't have any transgender back then. Uh, It says, but the midwives feared God. And did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. I mean, they're seeing what's happening. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the boys live. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife can get to them. (laughs) So, So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied. And became very mighty because the midwives feared God 
He established households for them. Now let me ask you, what principle do we see here about God? And if you honor him, he will honor you. These midwives did. So, um, it's kind of interesting to see how God moves, isn't it? Now, I know this was really a detailed part of Exodus. But I really want us to see how God moves. Isn't he fantastic? He knows the plan. He's got the plan. He knows the reaction before it ever happens. And so he sets in motion sometimes hardships that we think are really bad but they are for the good, maybe for us or for generations ahead. We see that in that timetable. Imagine if God's hand had not been in this plan. It would have never happened. Any questions? We got it? It's complicated, isn't it? <laughs> it is complicated. God's plan is complicated. He really is. But it shows us how much he loves us. No questions? Got it? Get it? Good. <laughs> I tried. I know. And we're going to be going over this more and more and more. This isn't the only time you're going to hear about this. So hang in there. Uh, and so the line was kept pure for the Messiah to come. And it was not derailed. Rahab, though, she was in that line, but she was not in Israel. But she was a person that had accepted all the ways of God. Canaanites never did, never would. Okay. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. We hope that you will join us at First Christian Church of Malvern, which is located at 4046 Coral Road, Northwest in Malvern, Ohio. May God bless you and have a great day.